We more often hear stories about rags to riches, don't we? Than we hear of riches to rags. Well, Moses might not have exactly been in rags, but there must have been a huge contrast in the difference between life as an Egyptian prince and his life now as a, a shepherd in Midian. As a prince, he would have had everything done for him, wouldn't he? You just imagine, you know, snapping his fingers and the slaves would come with whatever he wanted. But as a shepherd, he had to do everything for himself. And he was holding a job that he would have been taught to despise. What a humbling experience that must have been for him. But God was preparing him, preparing him for leadership. But God had his hand on Moses for a very long time, didn't he? Long before this incident of the burning bush, he'd been saved from being killed alongside many Jewish baby boys. Pharaoh had feared rebellion from all the, these Egypt, um, Israelites in Egypt. He'd made them slaves, given them a really hard life. But that hadn't made any difference. The numbers kept on growing. So he had another plan. Let's get rid of all the male babies. But he hadn't reckoned with the Jewish midwives, had he? And so Moses escaped that. And then his mother hid him. I think we've all heard the story of Moses in the basket in the bulrushes. But he was found. But he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. And she took him as her own son, and that was how he'd been brought up as a prince. And we heard in the, the reading that, that Jackie did from Acts how Moses came to be in Midian, tending these sheep belonging to his father-in-law. How was he feeling about his life at this stage? Maybe all he could think about was the past and how he'd messed up by killing that Egyptian. Maybe he wondered how his life might have panned out if he'd still been a prince. Maybe he imagined he might have been a pharaoh by now and then he could have really helped his people. I'm sure he maybe had a lot of moments where he sat in the desert thinking, if only, if only. Might have taken a long time but God brought good out of what must have looked like a bit of a disaster to Moses. Have you noticed in your lives how often God does that? Sometimes we look back on a situation, and I know I do, and I think, oh, if only I hadn't done that. I wasted time with that. If only I hadn't said that. But God very often does amazing things, things that we just would never have imagined or dared hope of. And usually it's not just one thing, it does two or three things together. So there was Moses, living the life of a shepherd. He would be learning the ways of the people he would be leading. And also about life in the desert, he was going to spend a bit more time in a, a desert region, wasn't he? He was being prepared. 
even if he was unaware of that fact, God was getting him ready to free the Israelites from Pharaoh's grasp. And God spoke to Moses from what looked initially like just quite an ordinary object, a bush. Now Moses had been tending these sheep in the desert for ages. Had he passed this bush before? Had he been in that area many times? But this wasn't just this time. This bush was different. It's a bit of an unexpected source this time. It was a bush that was burning. Now I'm sure that bushes must have burnt before in the desert. Moses must have seen this happening. I remember we were, oh, many years ago when our girls were just quite small. We were on holiday in Scotland and we were picnicking by a river grassy bit and there was lots of little gorse bushes and it was a really quite hot summer we, we have had them now and again quite a hot summer and these suddenly there was crackling noises and these gorse bushes were bursting into flames it was really quite frightening all I wanted to do was just get away from them Well, this bush that was burning, Moses' attention was caught by this. This was, there was something just very different about it. Because it wasn't being consumed, it wasn't burning up. The bush was still there, but there was flames. Think for a minute how you might feel looking at a bush burning like that. When I looked, as I say, when I looked at these and, and was beside these gorse bushes, I just wanted to get me and my family away from them as quickly as possible and as far away as I could. I wasn't curious. I just wanted some safety. Moses was curious. He went closer. He didn't run away. This bush was burning, and yet it wasn't burning. Could it be that God was showing Moses that he was not a God who burned up and destroyed, but a compassionate God who was well aware of his people's struggles, and that he was going to intervene and free them? There are other instances in the Bible, aren't there? When people experience God in a visible form. Remember Abraham saw a smoking pot and a blazing torch. And then Jacob wrestled with a man all night. And God led his people with a pillar of cloud or fire. And throughout the story of the exodus of the people, God's presence is frequently symbolized with fire and smoke. All these were to encourage this new nation of his to guide them and show them that his verbal messages were reliable. You know, if we're being taught something, if we hear it and see it, 
we remember it much better. Well, it seems God knew that all that long time ago. He knew that people needed not just to hear him, but to see him as well. So, we've got Moses going near to this bush to investigate. And God says for him not to come any closer. He's got to take off his sandals because the ground is holy. Well now, I looked a little bit in Leviticus. You only want to look a little bit at a time in Leviticus. And there's lots of references about things being holy and things being unworthy. And seemingly the two just can't mix together. So could it have been that the ground round this bush was holy? The ground on the bottom of Moses' sandals was just ordinary. He'd been tramping about. They couldn't mix together. I'm not really sure. But I think it was more than just taking off his shoes. Somewhere inside, Moses got this feeling. This is holy. This is special. This is God. And that got me wondering, am I ever on holy ground? Are you ever on holy ground? And we're not realising. Maybe we're just too busy with all sorts of things. Just too busy to realise that we might be on holy ground. Something you can think about this afternoon when you're dozing after your Sunday dinner. And from the outset, it was essential for Moses to know who was speaking to him. God reminds Moses that he's the God of his ancestors, of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. And he doesn't say he was their God. He is their God. He is alive and working. And he's aware of all the sufferings of his people. And he intends to do something about it. And he would not only rescue them, but he would take them to a land of their very own. A land that he had promised to Abraham. A land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that a lovely poetic picture? Beautiful, productive land. A fertile land that was agriculturally rich. There was pasture for sheep and cattle. I'm not sure whether they had cattle in those days, but they certainly had sheep. And there must have been loads of blossoms that the bees could make honey. And honey has lots of healing properties too, doesn't it? So there wasn't just food, but there would be healing there for them too. And now was the time for action. And through Moses, God's plan was to rescue his people from Egypt, from this land of oppression, and bring them into a land of opportunity. And then we heard about this great list I'm glad Peter had all those names to list, not me. This great list of people that, that lived there must have been a good land if they were all there. Our God is so good, isn't he? He had it all planned right from, Moses, from Abraham's time. And here he's got Moses willing because God needed a willing human being. 
Well, Moses is sort of willing, isn't he? He doesn't actually say no. But he does, well, who am I to do this? You know, it's the, why me? Um, hadn't he been a fugitive from Egypt? How was he going to go back? What might happen to him if he goes back? But God's response is immediate and very direct. I will be with you, he says. Well, Moses goes on to make other excuses, doesn't he? <laughs> a little bit like us. Well, a lot like me. I've, I've made lots of similar excuses for far, far lesser tasks than Moses had. One more difficulty that Moses raises. How would he convince the Israelites that it was God that had sent him? So Moses requests God to give him his name. The Israelites, the people those days, really believed that the name reflected an individual's character, personality. It was the real essence of the person was in the name. So he wanted to know the name he had to take. Now the people in Egypt must have worshipped lots of other gods. And I think some of the Israelites might have been a bit influenced by all of this other worship around them. Some of them might have even, alongside worshipping God, you know, hedged their bets a little bit and worshipped some of these other gods. So Moses really wanted to know exactly how he had to tell them it was it was him, it was God, it was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They had to know it was God that was taking them out. So God introduces him with his name. Strange name to us, I am. Well, it can be translated in quite a variety of ways. The origin of the name comes from the verb to be. Some people would say, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I always have been, I am, and I always will be. I think that's a good one, putting it all together. In other words, God's saying, I just am. Moses, like, like we feel, times felt very inadequate. But you know, God doesn't ask us to be adequate. He asks us to be willing. Willing to be used. Just as he says to Moses, he says to us, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. And we've got all the resources that we'll ever need in him. All the resources that were available to the, the greats in the Bible, you know, the people we put up on pedestals, we, we forget they were just ordinary people like us. All the resources that were available to them from God are available to us too. And amazingly, all the things that were available to Jesus from his Father are available to us too. That's why he gives us gifts. Didn't Jesus say that when his Spirit came, we would do what he'd been doing? Now, I don't know about you, but that just makes me say, wow. 
but it's there in the Bible. Jesus said it. So Moses was still worrying. He talked about not being a good speaker. Now I know that wasn't in our reading. You might hear about that next week. Or as you go on looking at Moses. How was he going to speak coherently to the people? Well God had that in hand too. He already had plans to help Moses. He knew Moses inside out. Just like he knows us inside out. And he knew Moses needed someone to help him. So he he reassures him by telling him he's got Aaron in the plan. And he goes on to reassure Moses, saying he'll give him a sign. But this sign won't be apparent until he's led the people out of Egypt. Now I think I would have been saying, oh that's all very well, but I need a sign now. But Moses just seemed to accept that. He was getting the hang of things, you see. The sign was that they would worship God on that very mountain where they were standing. So because that wasn't going to be a sign until later, Moses had to trust God before he started. He had to trust God first, long before the sign. That kind of bowled me over when I realised that. You know how you read bits in the Bible and you read them loads of times and you never see it. That I really saw that the other day. Moses had to trust God there and then. So just as God knew all the struggles of the Israelites, he knows everything that you're struggling with. He knows the things that I'm struggling with. Because nothing surprises him. He knows what we need. And he's always willing to help and intervene if it's needed. Do we thwart his plans by trying to go it alone? Trying to be independent? When we've got a problem to sort out or a crisis, is our first reaction to bring it to the Lord? Or do we try to sort it out first and then pray about it? So back to Moses. God tells him to go with the leaders to the king of Egypt and tell him how he, God, has met with Moses and that the people are going to go on a three-day trip into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord God. God knows that the king won't let them go easily, so he says he will intervene. And the message says, the message translation says, God says he will send them reeling with his miracles and they will be so glad to see the back of them that they will be given objects of silver and gold and extra clothes. See, they weren't even going to leave empty-handed. God had it all planned. The rescue plan was well and truly set. Do you know, God has been rescuing his people right from the very beginning. 
from when we messed it up in the first place, when we tried it would go our own way. And he had the people all planned that he would use in his rescue plan. He told Noah to build an ark, didn't he? And his family would be saved. And then the people were saved from famine by Joseph. And then here we've got Moses being commissioned to save the Israelites. And then down the years we've come to God's most amazing plan of rescue. Rescue from being alienated from our Heavenly Father. We were rescued in Jesus. Just as those who were safe in the ark, so if we have accepted Jesus, we are safe in him. We've got a wonderful freedom to be in relationship with God our Father because of this amazing rescue plan brought about by Jesus. Paying that debt that separated us from our Father. Jesus came, not in a bush, not in a smoking pot, or a pillar of fire, or a cloud. He came in human form. He came as a baby who grew up to be a man. He came to show that God's words were true and reliable. He came as the word made flesh. That's something we're going to hear about. Those words we'll hear quite a bit at Christmas. The word becoming flesh. Jesus personified all the verbal messages that God had been saying to all the generations. This plan of salvation goes right through the Bible, doesn't it? Well, now, where does that leave us? If we are safe in Jesus, does he want us to be part of his rescue plan for others? Sure he does. Or maybe not a huge rescue plan like Moses was involved in, but a rescue plan for our, our families our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbours. That's back to the little bit I read earlier. We might be called to nurture the Moses. We all know children, young people, friends, neighbours, family. We can all tell them in all sorts of different ways about God's wonderful love. We can be encouraging to them. We can be positive and enthusiastic about knowing about Jesus. People read us, you know, don't they? We read other people. We all do it. So when they read us, let them read about Jesus in you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you don't expect us to be adequate. You just desire us to be willing. And being willing, you will then equip us to do all that you ask of us. So give us a greater desire to be available. A greater desire to work with you 
in your continuing rescue plan. Amen.